When I was 19 years old, I'd saved up a little bit of money when I was at university, and I went on a surf trip to French Polynesia. I took my boards, and I was there for about a month. The place that I stayed had this right-hand reef break, so the waves broke over a shallow reef. Super shallow, but what it means is that the wave gets really hollow, which is really good. Um, and I would wake up at around 4.45, I'd jump on this old bicycle, put my board under the arm and ride down this little road to the end of a point and then paddle out. The waves were amazing. It was warm, sunny. It was what, like what you'd imagine on a postcard. The water was crystal clear. You could even see the fish in the waves when you're taking off. And I remember really clearly one day just sitting there by myself, might be a kilometer out to sea or more on this reef, and just thinking that, man, I don't know if I can get back and go to university. I don't know if I can finish my course. It was literally like heaven out there. And it was really hard to go back and imagine jumping back into the grind and finishing off the degree. Hi, it's John. You're listening to the Access Potential Podcast. Well, that night, everything changed. I was asleep and I woke up with something stinging my arm. And you know that feeling when you wake up and something's crawling on you and you kind of violently whip your arm around. And somehow, you know something was on you even though you were asleep. Well, this is what happened anyway. And I had this bite or something. I don't know what it was. And I was sleeping on this low mattress on a tiled floor in this guy's uh, spare room. And he couldn't really speak English. He spoke Tahitian and French. And um, anyway, so I flipped on the light and I found this, eventually found this huge centipede, like uh, probably 15, 12, 15 centimeters long. And I freaked out because I didn't know if centipedes were poisonous or dangerous or anything like that. So I tried to I waited till morning and nothing really happened. And then I explained to the guy what I saw and we kind of fumbled our way through the conversation. And eventually he understood and he said, ah, Saint Pierre, the centipede. And he kind of laughed. And so thankfully it wasn't too poisonous. Um, But this new sort of chapter of the trip just seemed to continue. It was like from that point on the whole trip changed And so the next day I surfed again and I paddled out, same thing. But this time there's these, there were uh, reef sharks on the way out. I could see the dorsal fins. It was just feeling kind of sketchy. The first wave that I took off, I slammed on the takeoff. So I I messed up on the takeoff and I caught the wave, fell off, hit the reef straight away. And the reefs are super sharp. So when you hit them, it tears you up pretty quickly. Uh, So I was all cut up on my ankle and my elbow paddle my way back in and then of course when you're in the tropics this stuff gets infected really easily so the next few days that started to happen and I sort of had to nurse it along until I got back to Australia where I got onto some antibiotics for it but in these last this last week or so it rained so hard that I was constantly walking through water on all the streets and even flooded into the house a little bit where I was staying, and this kind of moisture just makes these infections, these reef cuts even worse. So I kind of fumbled my way or, or made it back um, over this week until I got back to Australia and got back into uni, did finish the degree. Um, and after the degree, I was in two different stints of 
I guess, official employment, uh, both as an engineer, before I left to start something of my own. And this is when I started my first dream business. So this podcast is really about starting your dream business. It turns out, though, that a lot of things that are worth reflecting on when you start one of these, um, you start your business, and it also turns out that starting your dream business is a lot like a surf trip to a tropical island. So, yep, there's some amazing waves here and there, and then if you're not careful, there's plenty of centipedes and reef cuts as well. So hopefully some of what we go through here can help you to reduce these or avoid them altogether uh, if you're thinking of starting something or you have an idea of your own. So there's a lot of books talking about passion, finding your passion, finding your dream, a lot of podcasts as well. This podcast today is not one of those. Maybe that's for another time, but instead in this case, I suppose I'm assuming you've either got an idea that you want to pursue at some point uh, might be a side hobby, uh, maybe something even that you get paid for, or it might be the new business that you want to start or even have started. And to be honest, I think everyone should start a business at some point. Uh, this could be your main thing, like it could be your main, your, main, your main work, or it could be something that you do on the side. It doesn't really matter, but I can't think of a better mirror or court um, that we can jump onto for our development as a human, um, then your work. I think it's, I think it's really good opportunity. And although it's you know obviously fraught with difficulties, um, I think it's possibly the greatest um, space for learning that we have. So I want to pick up on a few key questions that I wish I'd known back then. These things are pretty simple. But it turns out that a lot of people are still missing them today and they're trying to figure out why they're stuck with something. And effectively, uh, what we're going to look at here on this podcast is moving into what I call a human first strategy. And this is a concept um, that I really like and it, it starts with obviously our physiology, um, the sense of you know how we're going and what's happening with us but then very quickly moves into connection and expression and group connection dynamics. And it can be really, really helpful when we have an idea or something that we're trying to pursue or develop. So I'm going to lead each question with a bit of a story, and then we can check how the question might have been of service. And these are kind of questions that I use now with any side project or, or business or anything that I'm doing, really even any decision to a point. So in 2009, I was really deep into long course triathlons. They're called Ironman triathlons. Uh, and technically, I actually started two businesses at this time um, and a blog, actually, which I wish I'd continued, but I didn't. Um, but I'm going to just today talk about one of the businesses which actually is still going in retail. So I left a job as a sustainable design engineer. It means that I did like conceptual design for sustainable buildings. And this was in 2008 that I left. And I was, at the time, I was finding that I was really handy at running and cycling, these things that I'd use to get to and from work. Um, so at this time, I had done some triathlons kind of on the side. And through one of these, I ended up qualifying for 
what's called the World Championships. And it was unexpected, but a lot of people try for a long time to get this. And I had this, this opportunity. It was almost a gift, really. And I said, look, I have to do this. And so um, I went for it. And obviously, I had to get a job because I'd left the other one. I needed some income. So I went down to the local running specialty store because it was something I was into and something I knew about. And I asked the guy if he had any hours. And it, it just happened that he was moving location from one store to another at the time. So I just jumped in and helped him straight away. I think I even just jumped in and helped him that day. And then he eventually offered me a job to work for him. And in this, in this work, I was selling high-end or specialty running shoes to people. Uh, we looked at how they actually ran. So we, we fitted them with shoes and then we got them to run outside, looked at the gate patterns. We found out about the events they wanted to do and the issues that they were having. Maybe it's, you know, with their knee or their body or with the training uh, program itself or whatever it might be. And I learned this concept of human first or people first um, because it was how that I was taught to approach the sales, so to speak, and and really this concept of sales um, overall, in particular from this place of inquiry or from kind of a place of listening. And so I learned how to kind of do retail here, and pretty soon it made sense that uh, I could open another store, which is uh, exactly what we did. And I went into partnership with the first owner. We found a location. Uh, I had around 10 grand that I'd saved up, and that was basically the whole investment. I think he might have matched it, and um, but it wasn't much. And we basically put the the slat wall up, which is what those you see the shoes kind of hang on. And I put some, we just had some basic staples, you know, things, shoes from the other store even that we borrowed. Basically, we bootstrapped the first month or two um, with minimal, you know, minimal investment and made enough sales so we could reinvest into more stock. And then we started to flesh out the wall. And our shoes were a lot more expensive than the big chain stores. Uh, who have, you know, the buying power. And they were certainly a lot more expensive than what you could get online because back then the dollar went to like 105 US cents. So people were buying uh, shoes online at about the same as what our wholesale prices were. But still we did well as a retailer. And it was pretty interesting. Uh, And then like the surf trip, everything pivoted all of a sudden. So eventually the owner of the other store ran what's called a group discount deal. And you might've heard of like Groupon. It was similar to that. And effectively this crippled the cash flow of the store when it came through. Both the stores made it through the event, but it was pretty tough. And the question really is why would a group discount deal uh, ruin a store? Surely the visibility of having hundreds of people come through Um, the space was helpful because this is effectively what those deals would do. And what we found was that the people who were coming through the store weren't our tribe. They weren't our normal customers. They weren't the people who we normally served. And although we never really asked the question of who we were serving, we kind of knew instinctively because it was people who were similar to us and we, we could relate with them. We could identify them. So we didn't, we hadn't, really ascertained who it was, but we kind of knew deep down. And the group discount deal brought in all of these bargain hunters. And these people had found a loophole 
in the way that the voucher was offered to them. And it basically allowed them to get unlimited numbers of vouchers. So a bunch of them did, like five, ten vouchers, you know, $100 each of credit. And the way it was set up was that they were only paying 50 cents on the dollar for the voucher. So they were basically getting um, all of our stock at under wholesale, well under wholesale. So the people who came in were in our tribe. And what happened was we weren't able to service all the orders from the vouchers because there was so much stock going out so quickly. And the revenue from the purchases uh, was both delayed because we wouldn't get it from the discount um, provider for a little while. I think it was a couple of weeks. And the revenue was too low because it was under wholesale. So it was a massive loss. And, uh, and the big lesson really was um, we need to know who the tribe is. So we need to know who we're working with, who we're serving. Um, and if they're not organized as a tribe, which they probably aren't, especially if you're early or first in a new industry or a new area, then the question is who are the people? You know, who are they as individuals? Who are you making this for? So if you've got your idea there, whatever it is, who's it for? Okay, so this is switching to people first or human first strategy. It's not I want to do the thing. It's who are the people? Who's out there? Who's these people that I want to connect with? What do they believe in? What do they want in their life? What do they think about the world? So if we'd done this with the stores, it would have meant that we never would have run the discount deal because it wouldn't have been a fit for our customers who weren't there for discounts. Uh, and it, we wouldn't have run it. It was, it was advertised on radio, which wouldn't have happened. And furthermore, it would have influenced all of our other advertising and marketing efforts. Uh, which we did at the time through kind of stumbling through it and finding people who were similar to us, which sort of worked. Uh, but effectively, we'd, we were trying to build a brand without really doing the work around the people or without really understanding the customer's deeper wants or needs or desires or pain points. So once we know or decide on the who, we can start to get to work. We can start to go and listen to them, understand them, or cultivate empathy for them. I call this an empathy deep dive. And it's one of the exercises that we use in the Access Potential Academy where we literally go and we start to listen. And we're, we're actively listening or we make a, a point of it. We go out in search of our people to understand more about them. But when we do this, what it does is allows these people that we want to serve to open the door of opportunity to us. So we get to we get to see what problems they have. They start to tell us about them. So in 2014, I moved down to Melbourne to open up a gym with my sister. And the space that we found had been a CrossFit box beforehand and was getting shut down. And so we had this opportunity to move quickly on a lease that existed, which are really hard to find for a gym sort of space. And also there were a handful of members who were pre-existing, which was attractive at the time. Um, but the thing was, we knew when we spoke together and when we hung out that we didn't want to do just a CrossFit box because we weren't really sure on the model long term. It was fairly late in the game and we decided that to be tied to a larger movement that we weren't 100% sure about, that we couldn't control, didn't have influences, influence in was not necessarily the best idea. 
So we didn't really know what to do. We had this affiliate. It was already affiliated. Uh, so we kind of did what probably anyone would do who didn't have the insights at the time is we hedged our bets and we created a sort of a hybrid. So we created a gym that was also affiliated at the time. And eventually we dropped the affiliate. And so the gym just became known as Workshop, which was kind of like a shackle being released because at this time we were allowed, we were able to more fully realize uh, and become clear on what it was that we had created and allowed us to more clearly articulate the point of why we existed. So why were we even there? Why were we in business? So the question here is, question number two for your idea is what's it for? What's the purpose? You know, what's, what's the change? What's the direct A to B shift that you want to create? And not just the structural shift, but the transformational shift. So as Michael Schrag from MIT has written, who do you want your customers to become? What kind of customers are we trying to create? Well, what's the transformation here? And so this question does a couple of things. First, of course, it establishes the nature of what you're creating. So we talk about the gym. Is the gym for developing strength? Is it developing health and balance? Is it for education? Is it to create a tribe or a group? Is it for a few of these different things? Is it for competition? Is it for connection and collaboration? All of these things are going to influence how the business is developed. But it goes a lot deeper too, and it encourages us to develop empathy or to understand the life position, narrative, the beliefs of the customer or the person that we want to serve. So rather than providing a product to fit the customer's wants or needs, we're going deeper. We're looking to create a product or service that fits their needs and wants and helps them to become the person that they seek to be deep down. And to do this, we need to be able to listen, to speak to them, observe, to see them as people. When Biz Stone and Jack Dorsey started working on what would soon become Twitter, they had this idea, having seen people update their status on the old AOL online messenger or online chat profiles. So you could update your status to away or to busy or you could enter your own little thing. And they saw this and they thought, what if we combine this ability to update status with a platform like an SMS style platform that allows you to do a few characters? And the SMS stuff was just coming out at the time. And what if we make a way for people to share this status publicly and to connect with each other? So there's this clear intuitive what's it for that they had. And the what's it for here, it is for social connection. From here, you got the status updates, entertainment, news, humor, everything else. But it was driven by social connection. It meant that they were open for users to help develop the product as well. This is because if you want to have more social connection yourself and the product is built around social connection, that's what it's for, then we know that if there's a little bit of open source nature to the product or to the platform, that input or feedback from the users is going to help to positively lever that product or the platform. So it's going to help to improve it. So the transformation to the customer in this whole thing, in this platform that they created, could be now that as a user, once you engage with us, you have this platform. And this means you can connect, share, and lead others. And you can grow a circle of influence around you 
that may be greater than that which was previously available without the platform. So the platform here could help people become the person that they wanted from feeling alone by themselves to someone who shares with others, someone who can move into a space of a leader in this certain context. And so they built this ecosystem that could grow simply because social connection was a defined driver and they know that we want to connect as humans because we're social animals. So this, going back to this other point, this means that as a group, they knew that we would be of service in the development of the product. Okay, so here we are. We know who it's for. We've identified who these people are. Maybe it's your culture, like me when I had the running store. Maybe it's a different culture. Either way, it needs to be clear and concise. If it's just for anyone who wants to exercise and be healthy, then you're going to end up in a tricky situation because we need constraints. If it's too general, there's not enough constraints to understand how we can actually go about making the business, marketing, product selection, offering, whatever it is, just right for those people. It's too open-ended. Also, we won't understand the exact transformation that we want to make with them because we don't know who we really want our customers to become because the pool is too big for us to know who they want to become. We can't really identify with them on the deeper level. We also know the what's it for, the second question, the exact change for these people. Why are we going into business? With the running store, the what's it for was simple. And contrary to what you might think, it wasn't just to sell shoes. The what's it for really was to enrich the lives of the customers, to help them transform from a runner into an athlete. And we did this with face-to-face connection, listening, deep understanding, and of course, technical knowledge. Yet we happen to be working with runners and triathletes and we happen to deal in shoes. So eventually we were known as running shoes sold by runners. So there's this third piece and the third piece ties in directly with the first two. And this isn't so much a question, but really a common thread that kind of runs through something I wasn't aware of back then. And it's really, really valuable. So the story is when I first learned about that group buying, discount buying offer that was put on at the store, I got this phone call when I was working one day and the phone rang and a customer said, hello, are these vouchers that I have good at your store? And these were the vouchers that were basically allowing them to buy the goods under wholesale. And I said, what vouchers do you mean? And they, they started to, to explain. And as soon as I got off the phone, I called my business partner to find out. I was like, surely there's some mistake. He broke it down and uh, told me how this is now live. And I hadn't heard of it up until this point. And we had to run this discount offer. And when I heard this, my heart kind of sank. And of course, I put the blame hat on and became super defensive. But later, what was really clear was that we'd simply not communicated. And no, we hadn't communicated on this deal, of course, but it was way bigger. It was throughout. It's probably the last, you know, three months or so, six months. And we just had been, there'd been a little bit of a chasm between us. And the discount deal here was simply an extension of this broader gap that existed for months. And see, most startups and small businesses fail, like nine out of 10. And I'm convinced most of them fail because lack of communication between the owners or the people who start them. Uh, But I also believe many of them fail because of lack of communication from the owner 
to themselves. So they haven't really gotten clear on who it's for, what's it for, or there's an inability to communicate the value of the product or service to the customer or a lack of understanding of the customer. So either way, a lack of communication. So what we're seeing then is that communication is potentially the biggest cornerstone to allowing your dream business, whether it's your main thing or something on the side, to actually work. More than the product, more than the service, more than the quality even. Of course, these things are needed. They're they're prerequisites, they're requirements. But the human-first strategy led by communication is really the biggest cornerstone. Tom Peters who authored the book In Search of Excellence, uh, written in 1982, has said, effective listening is per se the single most significant basis for differentiation that any organization can have. By differentiation, we could also insert the word survival. Uh, Of course, listening is a cornerstone of communication. If there's not an ability to communicate well, the business will get left high and dry on the reef and full of reef cuts. So communication ends up rolling into every single aspect of the business or even the hobby, the design, the development, the marketing, the finance, and of course, definitely of course, the sales, which is largely a listening and empathy-based process. We also know that communication or listening is a skill. And this is a good thing because this is something we can practice if we aren't good at it. And most of us aren't when we start. So it sounds really simple, but what actually happens? Well, ultimately, once there's one or more people involved, we have a lot of these little voices inside of our heads. And what we think happened versus what actually happened is a big factor. Um, So... To begin with, and this is probably different to a lot of people, I think that this communication piece really starts with I, with yourself, and providing space for yourself, allowing you to see more clearly what's going on for you. I write a lot about the retreats in my daily blog and unplugging and getting away from this constant cognitive load that's so present in our daily life. And really, this is the beginnings of tuning in or listening to your deeper self? What do you really want? What does your heart say? What is the voice inside of your head saying? What is a narrative that you have going on now? How is it going to help you? And how is it going to hold you back as you progress forward with this project? And then it's really the ability and the awareness not to just do this once, but several times, repeatedly, frequently, again and again, because we need to keep checking in, keep listening, keep understanding to what we're looking for Uh, inside and what's really going on in our head. And then from there, it's the repeated act of committing to connection with others. Uh, Definitely with who it is that you seek to serve, listening, what are they saying? When was the last time you really listened to the person that you're trying to serve and did a deep dive and really understood what their current challenges are, their deeper wants and fears, their deeper desires? Because through listening, through understanding, We have direction. We have bearings. We have alignment with what we're creating and the change or the transformation that they want. Who do they want to become? Finally, yet we have this ongoing communication piece. And this is a funny one because for me, I had lots of mentors tell me about this all the time. And I was like, yep, I got it. 
but really, it only clicked fully once I understood the value of connection and communication at a personal level to me. And once I could see that we all have this craving to connect, to be seen by other people and heard or noticed and acknowledged, then it was clear to me that communication wasn't just needed to keep the flow of business on track, but also to maintain this human-first approach, which is ultimately the only way the whole thing can survive and thrive. All right, so let's wrap this up. If you're creating something or want to create something, we're basically talking about people. It doesn't matter what it is you're doing. This is the human-first strategy. It sounds obvious, but in a lot of cases, it's completely missed, in, in, I'd say in most cases, uh, so instead of, you know, I want to start a cafe, it's really about what transformation do you want to help create uh, and with who. When you have a meeting, it's asked with who, who's coming, who's this for, who is showing up today, uh, how are these people feeling, what's going on in their life, where are they at right here and now, which is where the meeting's taking place. So from this point, we understand the who. We can connect, and there, from there we can move on to the what. So the first question was who, the second question was what, and the third sort of pillar that runs through all of this stuff is this concept of communication. So we see that two out of three of these are linked not to the product, service, location, strategy, et cetera, but to people, to humans. And in the what, uh, which on the surface isn't so directly linked, is simply how we're going to actually serve these people. So it's kind of their transformation. So really, all of the entire business, both internal communication, your emails, you know, connecting with staff, with each other, your connection with yourself, and then external as well, you know, connection with the market, potential new clients or customers or students, uh, who are the people they're going to be working with. All of it is based around people. People come first human first strategies so that's it for this week of the access potential podcast if you got any questions on this or you're thinking of starting something and this was helpful or your friends got an idea that you've been talking about and you've talked a lot about the idea or the the nature of it uh, and not a lot about who it's for and what you're trying to do in this transformation idea then forward them along the podcast and I will see you here next week and I'll be in New Zealand, be on Great Barrier Island for the next few episodes. So I'll see you from over there and thank you for listening.